Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful, you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan, and I'll be your host. Welcome back to Therapy for Humans, episode 19. Man, April. It's nice. Spring. It's a long fucking winter. So it's really nice to see some flowers and the sun's out more. Anyway, so I'm turning 50 this week. It's one of those moments, you know, one of those things that's like we're supposed to feel all the feels about it. I'm not sure I'm there. You know, I don't often jump on the train around this kind of thing just because our culture decided at some point that 50 is the number where you need to have some kind of intense reaction. That haven't been said, the more I think about it, the more I think about it. So I'm choosing to celebrate rather than fret over it. My life is pretty fucking great right now, actually. And I could find things to worry about without even breaking a sweat. But what would be the point of that? And my wife turns 50 three weeks after I do. And so at least I have company and a willing partner in both celebration and introspection. So on another note, I hope on another note, uh, I was listening to NPR this weekend. And specifically, I was listening to TED Talk Radio where they, they kind of take a deeper dive into a particular TED Talk or a selection of them. Anyway, they were talking about failure and how we view it in general versus how it's seen in certain circles. Um, they were talking about this, uh, Google has a company called X, where they research and develop things just totally on the fringes of what we're able to do. They call them moonshots, things that could be the next massive leap forward in terms of science or technology. I bet that's a wicked cool place to work. But anyway... I bet they need a therapist over there. If anybody has any connections over there, give them my card. Anyway, so they were talking about how much they value failures there because often the failures are where the learning is. You know, there's this old saying about the discovery of new things is generally not heralded by Eureka. It's usually, huh, that's weird. Or the ever popular, oh shit. Anyway, it's when the unexpected happens, which is often, in fact, a failure that we really learn. So just in case you were feeling like a failure today, I say, congratulations, you're on the right path. We had a bunch of emails come in, so I'm psyched about that. I think I'm going to do two this week, and then I'll do two in our next episode, just to spread them out a little bit. Okay, so our first email says, uh, Hey Rowan, I'm a parent and have absolutely intentionally kept my child away from organized religion their entire life. They're currently in middle school. If that's your thing, power to you. It's absolutely not for me per outrageous personal experiences and history. I always thought I could and have in snippets introduced them to a multitude of practices and histories organically and let them know that they could always personally decide if attachment was a need for them whenever. Lest was I prepared for my young child to approach me recently and avidly express an interest in the comfort of a higher power. I'm finding it profound, absolutely magical, and fucking terrifying simultaneously. I can't help but fear their interests will be preyed upon. I'm trying to process honoring this voiced need and what I know to be true in the world, that religion has been unfortunately used as a tool for control. Any tips on where to begin to tackle the subject in a safe space? Also, much of our family is queer, so add that into the mix. I'm hoping more hikes and tree hugging will suffice. And it's signed, Heathen Mama. Okay, well, thanks for your email. I totally get the concern around this, and I share a lot of the emailers' discomfort with organized religion. Here's the bottom line. 
It sounds like you raised your kiddo to be a free thinker. So it's time to start trusting that work. Middle school is really generally when this starts to happen. This child that was so much yours, who shared everything about themselves with you, who sought your advice and took it to heart on everything and anything, suddenly they start developing their own sense of who they are and what they want and need, and sometimes those things are not what we saw coming. You said uh, much of your family is queer, so I'm sure it's freaky to have your kid expressing interest in some organizations that would not be down with that. So again, trust that your kid is not going to wake up some morning and all of a sudden hold fundamentalist views that will invalidate your family. You did a better job than that of raising this child. I think this idea of this sort of all-powerful being who takes care of us and watches over us is pretty damn alluring, especially to a child's psyche, but really, honestly, probably to all of us. And so I think if you're raised in that environment, maybe it's easier to kind of get there than it is if, if this is a new thing you're seeking. I think, but I think a lot of people look for that. Anyway, my guess is that your child is intrigued by the concept and maybe even wishes that they could have their very own imaginary sky friend, but actually buying in all the way is a whole other thing. So keep urging them to think critically, but let them explore. Have conversations about what it is they're looking for and why without shaming or judgment. Expose them to different approaches to spirituality and, and talk about the similarities as well as the differences. Read The Alchemist, read Siddhartha, read Illusions by Richard Bach, read Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And now that I think about it, talk about why all those books are so fucking sexist. Um, but also, take in some of the good stuff in there. Talk about The Handmaid's Tale, for fuck's sake. That's scary. And like, way too, like, could happen any day. Take them to a shamanic journeying class. Take them to a confirmation. Take them to a blessing way ceremony. Take them to a bar bat mitzvah. Talk about rites of passage. Maybe given their age, that's more of what they're looking for. Some sense of belonging to a wider community, an anchor for their angst. Be honest about your fears, but let them try out different paths. Generally, the heavier we come down on something as parents, the more alluring it is to the kid. I remember when we were living in Missoula, uh, years ago, in the early 90s, my wife had a co-worker um, who was, I don't know, 18, 19-year-old kid, and his parents were druids, and they were doing stuff that we thought was, like, super cool, and this kid was just, like, so over it, and like, he had grown up with it, and so he just thought it was stupid. He wanted to be a Christian. He thought, you know, for him, that was the thing that was full of magic and mystery, and I just remember being completely baffled by that at the time. Um but again, you know, it's kind of one of these things where like, well, if your parents are leaning in one direction, maybe you're going to go the other. Um, and trust the work you've put into raising this human. Trust your kid. They will find their way. And the more you can keep the lid on your own stuff and bust yourself on it when necessary, the cleaner that path is going to be for them. Okay, so here's our next email. Uh, this person uh, says, Hi, I've recently reconnected after many years with someone I had an ongoing, episodic, but fairly casual thing with in college. Now it's 20 years later, and we're both entirely single and interested in possibly starting a relationship that would be at least at first long distance, but we're wanting to avoid the pitfalls of earlier relationships with others or our own previous patterns. Do you suggest pre-relationship counseling as a good idea, or are there books that might be helpful to improve the experience? 
And this person's name is Allie, and they said that I could use their first name. So, hi, Allie. Thanks for your email. Um, honestly, it sounds like you're both going in with your eyes wide open. Um, if you haven't had really in-depth conversations with each other about exactly what the issues were in your past relationships, you should do that, I guess, because it sounds like you're concerned about repeating some of the same mistakes. Um, you should also be really clear with this person about what potential deal breakers are for both of you. And, you know, this new relationship energy that's present with the two of you right now is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, it feels so fucking good, but it also blinds us. And I think that's kind of the point of it. I think it's kind of a leftover process that maybe doesn't serve us very well anymore. But um, Irvin Yalom is, a, is an author and psychiatrist, and uh, he has this great passage in one of his books that I'm, I'm going to read. Um, the book is called uh, Love's Executioner. And he says... I do not like to work with patients who are in love. Perhaps it is because of envy. I too crave enchantment. Perhaps it is because love and psychotherapy are fundamentally incompatible. The good therapist fights darkness and seeks illumination, while romantic love is sustained by mystery and crumbles upon inspection. I hate to be love's executioner. So I guess that's kind of a cautionary statement about how close you want to look at this. <laughs> Um, but here's the deal. Any new relationship carries the risk of heartbreak. I don't care how much sort of pre-planning you do. If you're going to give your heart to somebody, there's always a chance that it's going to get broken. You know this by now. So you can try to shine that spotlight on it from the start, but even in bright light, you're looking through the lens of that romantic energy and it's all hopeful and giddy and it's whispering of promises of finally finding that one true love. And it might be right on, or it might be full of shit. And that's why it's a risk. So anyway, I'm not going to urge uh, you to fight against that. I'm going to ask you to lean into it, to take it in, to feel hopeful, feel beautiful, feel worthy of this experience. You are worth it. And you might get hurt. And it's still worth it. Alfred Lord Tennyson nailed it back in the 1850s when he said, I hold it true, whatever it befall, I feel it. When I sorrow most, tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. So, people have been dealing with this shit forever. Don't analyze the magic out of this thing. Do your due diligence, then hike up your skirt and jump into the deep end of the pool. That doesn't make you foolish or juvenile or irresponsible. It makes you a human in love. Which, you could argue, makes you all those other things. But fuck it, it's worth it. You are a grown-ass adult and you get to have this. So go forth, and I truly hope that this is everything you want it to be. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Therapy for Humans. If you'd like to shoot me an email, you can get in touch with me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com. You can also leave a voicemail on our voicemail line at one eight four four durango That's one eight four four. 387-2646 is a voicemail only line so don't freak out about anybody picking it up and anything you send into the show is totally anonymous so if you include your name I'm not going to repeat your name unless you specifically tell me you want me to um, if you'd like to see me live and in person for therapy I am taking a few new clients and you can get in touch with me through DurangoPsychotherapy.com or you can text or call 903 3893. So until next time, take care of yourself. 
and take care of each other.